0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: There's no point in sending a physical leaflet to people that are in their 80s and 90s, giving them loads of technical advice, because it's just not going to resonate with them.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs in the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Matthew Gorge is CEO and founder of G-Trust, and he joins us to talk about protecting the young and the old against online scams and abuse. But first, a word from our sponsors at Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, uh, before we jump into our stories here, we have a bit of follow-up. What do we got?
0: Well, Greg wrote in with uh, some feedback on episode 230, where we talked with Bennett about the fraud ring that is using credit card fraud to deliver goods uh, that are then grabbed by mules. Mm-hmm. And he writes, Dave and Joe and nameless, numberless cyberwire minions.
2: minions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a comment regarding Porch Pirates or Delivery Dead Drop's leg of the triangulation of Hacking Humans in episode 230. So he's talking about the uh, the fact that when these guys deliver products, like we were talking like gold coins and things like that, they mm-hmm. need someone to go and pick them up to move it, move it around. And even though this gang was based in Southeast Asia, they still have to have infrastructure here in the U.S. to do that. Right. When my father had his office building sold to another owner, he was still leasing his office space. He had various packaged, packages delivered to his office from Amazon and other shippers as well. Hmm. While I couldn't at the time think of a specific, how does this fraud benefit the fraudsters? This makes me think they might be using a list of recently sold addresses as shipped to addresses to insulate themselves from a, uh, from a direct link to the arriving fraudulently purchased products. Hmm. I wonder if they're using something like this. And he points to a, uh, a link on Zillow. Um, yeah. And by the way, Greg, thanks. Every time I go on Zillow, I go down a rabbit hole, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, it's, uh, it's a great link. You can just select from the pull down menu, first pull down menu, uh, for sold houses. And then you can look at the recently sold houses in your, in a, in a given area. Right. So it's easy to do on a map. And this is a great point, Greg. Also every newspaper or a lot of newspapers will have like recently sold houses in the newspaper. uh, in a section of the newspaper because these are public record. Yeah. And, you know, if you live in a small town, that's in the newspaper.
2: Mm -hmm. And they do that for, uh, commercial real estate as well. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah.
0: Interesting. I think that's probably correct.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Greg, for sending that in. Uh, anything else, Joe? Uh, did you want to talk about your synthetic voice here? Uh, sure. You want to play it? So, uh, well, let me set it up a little bit. Uh, So as uh, listeners might know, I also uh, do a segment over on the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, uh, which is a podcast uh, from Jason and Brian. And uh, we do a security segment every week. And so we've been talking about ChatGPT and synthesized voices and and things like that. So um, I ran... So what, what I did was I asked ChatGPT to write up a... A uh, note from me thanking them for having me on the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. Uh, then I ran that through an automated speech synthesis platform called Eleven Labs, uh, who are currently in beta. And what they do is they take samples of your voice and then they can create a speech synthesizer that imitates your voice. Obviously, there are many, many samples of my voice available. I have thousands of them here. That's yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I loaded in about half, half a dozen of them. Uh, and this is what it generated. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the hosts of the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast for having me on their show. It was an absolute pleasure to share my thoughts on cybersecurity, and I appreciate their willingness to engage in an open and frank discussion. I'm grateful for the chance to have shared my insights and experiences with the audience, and I look forward to future opportunities to do so. Thank you again. So what
0: do you think of that, Joe? Dave, uh, when you played this for me, I thought it was you resigning from the Grumpy Old Geek Show. Okay. And I <laughs> I asked you immediately if you were doing that, and then you told me it was completely synthetic. Now, on the flip side of that, I played it for my wife, and she's like, that sounds robotic. Hmm. So she picked up on it that it wasn't real, but I did not. Hmm. Uh, so it fooled about 50% of my sample.
2: <laughs> yes. In your, fact, it fooled exactly 50% your of Your scientific sample, sample of <laughs> two, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, so, I have been saying for a long time, uh, I've, I'm not really worried about the AI and the the, the fake stuff for mm-hmm. election purposes. Uh, at least I was saying that for the 2016 and 2020 elections, uh, but I might be worried about it for future elections.
2: Yeah. Well, guess what? Now
0: I'm worried about. it. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Fair. Yeah. I mean this this took no more than 10 minutes of effort on my yeah, part. I absolutely. Mean, so. And the synthesis is so fast on uh, on um, Eleven Labs' system. It's not fast enough yet that you could do a real-time interaction with someone. But Right. Yeah, uh, it does take a
0: little bit of time for responses to come up.
2: Right. So it's but not going to work that you way. You can certainly synthesize dozens of generic responses. And then write a soundboard. Yep, exactly. You know, that would
0: be very simple. Uh, the next thing I had you do with chap GPT was write an endorsement for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for president as if it were being written by Donald Trump. Right. And right. it came up with a really good, uh, bit of script for that. That yeah. sounded like something Donald Trump would say. Right. If he was endorsing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for president, which is something everybody knows would never happen. <laughs> That's right? right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, and then I said, we should run that through the speech synthesis, but there's a problem with the, uh, With the terms of service, you're not allowed to use voices that aren't yours, and we don't own Donald
2: Trump's voice. There you go. At least not yet. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, this stuff is coming along quickly. Yeah, it is. So I think it's something we need to have on our radar. Obviously, uh, everybody's heard about ChatGPT lately. It's the media darling of the moment, but the, the fact that you can extend it to other things, I think is very interesting, and we'll have to keep an eye on it. Agreed. All right. Well, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to cover on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at the All right, let's do our stories here. Joe, why don't you start things off for us?
0: Dave, my story comes from Carl Greenberg over at Tech Republic. And the title is New Cybersecurity Data Reveals Persistent Social Engineering Vulnerabilities. Hmm. Uh, The first thing it talks about is it talks about ransomware attacks being down last year. We had a guest on earlier this year talking about ransomware attacks being down. Right. Uh, That is probably due to the fact that these ransomware groups have been disrupted. Yeah. And uh, they're just reformulating and reforming. So those are going to go back up. But uh, the industrial sector was targeted most by these criminal gangs uh, for a second year running in Hmm. ransomware uh because you know if you lock up someone's data okay maybe they can continue to work but if you lock up someone's operational technology that is much more likely to get you a payout i think
2: if the assembly line shuts down right mhm mhm
0: carl also talks about uh how there were Twenty uh two, I'm sorry, twenty-three, two hundred and thirty thousand DDoS attacks um across twenty twenty-two, hmm. uh, forty-five percent of them targeting US businesses, twenty-seven percent of which occurred in January, which is a large number. Mm-hmm. Um and then he talks about the uh the group Lockbit, which was responsible for thirty-three percent of the ransomware attacks. So that's a large market share being held by one group.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although if they're using an affiliate model, it's it's you know
0: correct like correct. It's almost like a franchise. Right. If you think about McDonald's and how how it operates, these these ransomware groups were operating very in a very similar fashion. In mm-hmm. fact, they were even given the lion's share of the uh, of the ransom to the affiliates. They were giving like sixty percent and only keeping forty percent for themselves. Right. Because they had done all the all the back end work of building the infrastructure and everything, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they were not interested in doing essentially what is the sales work of a ransomware industry. Yeah, and they paid people handsomely to do it for them.
2: Mm -hmm. Everybody wins. Everybody wins, (laughs) except (laughs) Except for the the victim. Right? Right, Yeah, they lose big. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, The business
0: email compromise is where I wanted to spend most most of. uh, the discussion here, because as I like to say, business email compromise is the king of social engineering attacks. Hmm. Uh, it succeeded by tricking a third of employees. Wow. A third of employees. Now, I'm not sure if this these statistics include true business email compromise or just impersonation attacks lumped in with business email compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the places that we as an industry need to get our metrics right, in my opinion. Hmm. This is... Uh, very important because there is a big difference between someone sending an email from a newly created Gmail account that looks like it came from Dave Bittner Mm -hmm. or somebody actually breaking into your Dave Bittner account, uh, at, at your business and sending email out as you. Oh, I see. Those are two different things. Right,
2: right. Um,
0: and, and one of them is much more damaging because all the things we say, like make sure it's coming from the right address, make sure you're talking to the right person, All those things go right out the window once somebody has compromised your email account. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, these, these actors can work in a way that masks the fact that you and I are communicating on your compromised email account by generating rules that put my emails coming in into some other folder. You never even see it. right? And they're in there with you responding, replying to me as I'm talking to you. And I think I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to some scammer. You're talk- talking to everybody else on your email. And when it comes time for me to say, where do I send the money? The scammer tells me his bank account. Yeah. So that's how this works. But a third of the people who received these emails, it, it kind of worked on them hmm. at some level. Wow. Uh, because these things are tailored and crafted. So in this report that he's referencing uh, here, it's the H1 2023 email threat report eighty four percent of email reports uh, to phishing mailboxes are either safe emails or gray mail hmm. isn't that interesting
2: what, what do you mean What's so gray mail?
0: if you get a if you get a legitimate email right and it looks kind of suspicious and you report it that is that constitutes about 84 percent of the uh, reports of phishing emails
2: hmm. okay um,
0: so when you're in a large organization a lot of times you'll have a, uh, a an email, uh, you know, even it's integrated into your, your, uh, your email client where you can just click on a button and say, report this as a phishing attempt. Right. 84% of the time, it's not a phishing attempt. That's a really high false positive rate.
2: Oh, okay. And that
0: might be one of the problems with having people reporting phishing attempts. In fact, it is one of the problems. <laughs> I think that's a remarkably high rate. That's going to make the job of finding real phishing emails much more difficult.
2: Don't you don't you think there's a better safe than sorry element though? I mean, there, if we're training people to be vigilant,
0: there is a better safe than sorry element here. Uh, you're correct, but I'm not sure if this is if this is the best way to go about it. Yes, have the people report the phishing attempts, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you can do some metrics on the back end. Maybe they do metrics on the back end. I don't know mm-hmm. uh, where they compare the phishing reports, and if you see a bunch of people reporting something similar, then. Yeah, maybe you have a real phishing attempt here on your hands. But if you see one person, two people reporting things, uh, maybe you do metrics on on the quality of the individuals' report and prioritize people who report a higher quality. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the solution is here. But eighty four percent is is not a good metric.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, employees in the entry level sales roles with titles like sales associate and sales specialist read and reply to text based business email compromise attacks 78% of the time. Hmm. Interesting.
2: I guess if you're a salesperson, right. better, also better exactly. safe than sorry. <laughs> that is,
0: that is, that is the flip side of this problem. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, if you're a young salesperson who's, who's hungry, I've been that young salesperson yeah. who has, who has, is trying to generate business. Every single email that comes in, you're reading it, yeah. right? Who? what does this person need? Can I help this person? Can <laughs> this I is sell this? This is I, the I one. I got to make my quota <laughs> this month. Yeah. Uh, what a miserable experience being a salesperson was for me. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there that really love it, but I hated every minute of it. Yeah. Uh, nearly two thirds of large enterprises experienced a supply chain compromise attack in the second half of 2022. Hmm. I don't know what that how that pans out. I'd have to look at this report. Uh, but from the first to the second half of 2022, business email compromise targeting small small to medium businesses grew by 147 percent. So now they're going after the smaller guys. So all of that stuff uh, that people think about, these attackers aren't after me. This is where I, I I get to put on my Joe Stradamus hat and go, see, I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> but I, you know, this is this is what uh, what they're going to start going for because they're starting to realize that the larger companies with business email compromise are starting to go, okay, everybody needs to use multi factor authentication. Okay, well, where am I going to go? Uh, I'll bet there are small companies out there that do a lot of business that uh, that I could probably go in there, compromise, and get some of their vendor payments uh, to get redirected or maybe get some of their customer payments redirected. Right. That's the target is the money. It's always about the money with mm-hmm. these guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's a little bit of a prediction uh, that is from this article. It says, looking ahead to 2023, uh, we're already in 2023. But it says, bad actors will focus their attention on compromising supply chains in 2023,
2: hmm.
0: uh, bypassing multi-factor authentication and taking advantage of misconfigured APIs. That is a pretty specific prediction, but we'll see if that comes true. Hmm. Um, I think it's, it might be valid. Anything they're going to do to bypass multi-factor authentication, uh, they're going to do it because multi-factor authentication makes these guys' lives much more difficult. Right. But they're not going away. There's too much money to be had.
2: No, they just keep moving their way down the food chain, I guess. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's an interesting article, and uh, we will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, My story this week comes from the folks over at The Register. This is an article written by Jeff Burt. And uh, this is an interesting one, Joe. It's titled, Scammers Steal $4 Million in Crypto During Face-to-Face Meeting. Huh. So (laughs) I want to start off. uh, I'm just going to read the first half sentence here. It says, Ahad Shams, co-founder of Web3 Metaverse gaming engine startup Webiverse. So let me just stop there and say... (laughs) Web3 Metaverse Gaming Engine Startup. I already have my tech lingo bingo card full. <laughs> right. right. This guy's hitting all the buttons Web 3, here. Web3 Metaverse Gaming Engine Startup. I could just imagine the pitch meeting. He's like, we got all the bases covered, right. gents. We're, we're, in, we're in good shape here.
0: I've already stopped listening to A
2: Ahad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so he found that someone had stolen $4 million of his cryptocurrency. Oh, no. And it happened during a real-world interaction.
0: I want to know how this happened.
2: <laughs> so uh, what happened was uh, he was working on a, a Series A fundraising round. Okay. Uh, he got contacted by someone who wanted to invest. Seemed to be from a legitimate law firm. Uh, he checked the website uh, the lawyer that was part of the deal, or you know, a per- alleged lawyer who was right, part yeah. of the deal, uh, sent him some know your customer information, and th- that all eventually turned out to be fake. Right. Uh, Probably and,
0: just a way to gather all kinds of information.
2: Right. But but uh, Ahad was doing his due diligence right. here. Right. They're yeah. trying to check out these folks. Uh, so they set up a meeting in Rome, and uh, Ahad met with this gentleman and his lawyer uh, for dinner, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were going to meet the next day to close the deal. Uh, so Ahad had set up a trust wallet account, which is a cryptocurrency wallet, right. secure wallet. Um, he had set that up at his home, and he was using a device that he did not u- normally use to, uh, to set it up. Uh, the idea was that uh, without any private keys or seed phrases, that the funds would be secure. Yep. So uh, he sat across from these gentlemen, and he transferred uh, four million dollars in cryptocurrency to the trust wallet. Uh, to his trust wallet. To his tr- to his trust wallet. Uh, the folks that he was doing business with asked to see the balances on the trust wallet app, uh, and, and interestingly. Uh, took out his phone to take some pictures of the screen. Uh, he said that he thought that was weird, but there weren't any private keys or seed phrases showing on the screen. Right. So they thought, well, no harm done. Uh, and then uh, the person that they thought they were doing business with said he needed to step outside to discuss it over with his colleagues, and they never saw him again. He said minutes later, the funds left the wallet. He was in shock, and he had no idea how these guys had stolen the money from them.
0: How—I'm also in shock and have no idea how these guys (laughs) stole the money from
2: him. Right, right.
0: So he had the the address Mm -hmm. of of a wallet that was back at his house. Yeah. Right? And he sent $4 million to that address.
2: Correct. And within minutes, the bad guys had transferred the money out. Uh, and then the the story goes on to talk about some of the the laundering that they did there, sending it through multiple accounts in multiple places.
0: ok. but my um, my bigger question is, how did they get access? To, they had to have access to his private keys at some point, right. How they do
2: that? Well, that's the mystery. And uh, if you read through the comments, there are lots of folks trying to guess how they did it. It seems like uh, many people think that there must have been some kind of man in the middle attack. That if they knew they were targeting this person, uh, could they have gotten on his home network? Could they have gotten on his home device? For $4 million, right. it's worth spending a lot of money to try to get access to this person's devices, to their home, to their home network. Um, they thought – someone said perhaps uh, you know the device that he was doing all these transactions on, could they have intercepted a device that was sent to his home, put in their own malware – and then, you know, they, so they have access to that device and, and he doesn't know about it.
0: I would need to see the um, the infrastructure that Ahad was using here in order yeah. to make a better educated guess here. Um, you know, there's also another, another uh, option here that yeah. this is something Ahad is doing. I don't know if this is right or not. I'm not accusing Ahad of anything, but... Um, Maybe he's in on it, you mean?
2: Maybe he's in on it, yeah. That's a possibility. Possibility. I think probably unlikely here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, probably
0: unlikely. You're right.
2: Yeah, yeah. See, all, all all, of the evidence here seems to point to Ahad being a legitimate businessman. And, and being a victim of, a, of these guys. Right, right. Um, some folks have wondered about the, the taking of the picture of the screen. Like, that's a little unusual. Uh, someone wondered if perhaps someone could have gotten into the code of the wallet itself and perhaps... Uh, made it so that it would surreptitiously display on the screen something hidden on the screen that would mm. have the the keys. Yeah, if the, um, if, the,
0: if the wallet he was using was malicious and they had a way to get, get that information off of there, yeah, they right. could absolutely leak that information that way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, others have said that maybe the, the taking the photo was just a red herring to kind of try to throw people off the, the trail, uh, which is interesting as well. Um, Folks have wondered if they got into someone's Wi-Fi network. There have been questions, could it have been an evil maid attack, you know, where they paid off people at the hotel to get access to his devices. Mm. Um, So it's still a mystery, uh, but it's interesting because you would think that in some way they needed physical access— to this person, or else why bother with that part? If they were if they were able to do it, if they were able to get everything they needed from, say, his home computer when he generated the keys to this wallet account, why even go through with the face-to-face meeting? The high risk, or certainly higher risk, of a face-to-face meeting, why would you go through with that unless you needed to?
0: Yeah. Uh, assuming Ahad's innocence here, mm-hmm. um, the only thing that comes to mind is that that's the only way they can guarantee that he'll be at a given place at a specific time. Mm. He'll be not home at a specific time. Right. So they then they can do the evil mate attack or the, uh, or the break in $4 million. You know, that is a lot of money. That's enough to, <laughs> that's enough to motivate somebody to do this. I right. would
2: think. And and you can pay off a lot of people. Yeah. Along the way. Right. Uh, to do it. So I, I, I tend to think that the, the man in the middle plot is, is probably the most likely, but, uh, I would uh, love to hear from our listeners. If I would you, tend uh, to think
0: that this that this is somebody getting physical access to the system that has the wallet on it and getting the keys off of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, th- that to me is more of a more of a likely situation than a man in the middle attack. Because if you're sending stuff to a, uh, an address, I'm a little confused, but uh, maybe maybe a man in the middle attack.
2: Maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, again, I'm I'm curious to uh, know what our listeners think about this. We'll have a link to this article in the show notes, so you can. Check out all of the details, and uh, if you think you have a way, <laughs> or if you think you have an explanation for how this probably took place, uh, please send it to us. We would love to hear from you. But it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is. Very much so. Yeah.
0: Now I'm curious.
2: <laughs> Uh-oh. And I don't mean to impugn, <laughs>
0: impugn- Aha, I mean I'm you're you're probably right. He is probably a victim here.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think it's probably safe to say. I, yeah. I think ev- everything points to that being the case, but it it is a question worth asking, right? Is As, you know right. could because often you found out that someone who purported to be a victim turned out to be in on the scam. But yeah. in this case, I I think that would be a long shot. I don't think there's anything to that. Yeah. All right, Joe, those are our stories. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. <laughs>
0: Dave, our catch of the day comes from Rodney, who writes, Dave and Joe, I saw this in my email. Seems like the scammers are trying to scam those who have already been scammed, hoping to get some money back. So uh, Rodney thinks this is a follow-on scam. Mm. Uh, Do you want
2: to go ahead and Read this one? Sure, it says greetings. I am Mr. Romulad Wagnagi of the above office, the senior director manager of one of the many branches, Minister of Economy and Finance. This is to let you know that your name and address was among the Scam Victims Compensation Fund, $10.5 million, hundred thousand dollars, which was approved to be released to you by the president of this country, Patrice Talon. You are advised to get back to us with these details. Your full names, city, home address, working ID, email address, cell phone. Your urgent message is highly needed as soon as possible once you receive this message. Note you might receive this email in your spam or your inbox as well. We are still working on our network IP to control our message direct to your inbox. I see. Thanks and God bless you. Yours sincerely, Mr. Romuald Wagnagi, Minister of Economy and Finance, Benin Republic.
0: So yeah, this is just a uh, I, this is looks like a fish, a broad a broad net fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's targeting people who have probably already been victims of scams. Yeah, um, and it's just a follow on scam. So yeah, if you get one of these, throw it away.
2: Yeah, and the give you know broken English is right. a giveaway. The, it's funny how they say if you receive this in your spam folder, <laughs> uh, they
0: Disregard. try to come up with a reason that it went in your spam right. folder.
2: Right, nothing to see here. Do yeah. you read
0: your spam folder, or do you just? highlight everything and click delete.
2: Oh, yeah. That's even, what I do. Yeah. I don't even do that. I, I mean, I'd I hate to see what's in there right now. It's, right. You know, yeah. It generally ages <laughs> out after like 30 days, right? Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just out of sight, out of mind. Just bankrupt that folder every now and then. Goodbye, yeah. ding. I figure if it's important enough, they'll write back or they'll call me.
0: Yep. Yep.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, our thanks to Rodney for sending that in to us. Again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at cyberwire.com. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobifor's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at nobefore.com/securitycoach. That's nobefore.com/securitycoach. So I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Matthew Gorge. He is the CEO and founder of an organization called G-Trust. And we're talking about protecting the young and the old alike against online scams and abuse. Here's my conversation with Matthew Gorge.
1: So I think that we, we are doing a reasonable job, or at least we're, we're, we have very good initiatives around protecting young children. Um, and we're seeing a lot of schools... Worldwide, starting educating people around cybersecurity and uh, being groomed online and so on uh, from a very young age, um, we we suddenly see a lot of a lot of schools, high schools, that level uh, uh, providing training to well not training but educational webinars or educational seminars and interactive sessions with teenagers so that they can understand the risks where i think we're not really doing so well is with the older generations and uh, well, one of the things to bear in mind is that those two um, brackets essentially have different uh, different views of the internet different you know different experiences and and also they are targets for different things so if you take the younger kids Obviously, uh, you don't want kids to be groomed online. You don't want them to meet somebody in person that they might have met uh, online if they can't validate who they are. But even if they can't validate who they are, you know, they can be easily persuaded into meeting the wrong type of people. And so uh, I I always say that I I spent my my youth uh, being told not to talk to strangers, not to get in a car with a stranger and so on. Whereas today's kids, they they talk to strangers online all the time. And then teenagers, they use Uber and get into a car with a complete stranger all the time. And it's kind of normal. And so what we need to do is we need to educate people with the right mechanisms and with the right ideas. So some of the ideas that we had in 1970s, 80s, 90s are no longer completely uh, applicable. So they are kind of applicable in a physical context, but not in a cyberspace. So we have that, that challenge with the younger people and the younger people basically... Uh, it's all about, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, sometimes sex abuse or mental abuse, things like that, bullying and, and, and so on. The, the older people, it's slightly different. So these older people, older generations that are on the Internet and, you know, might have been given an iPhone or whatever, and they are trying to keep with the technology and they're trying. Sometimes they have no choice, by the way, because... Uh, there's some services that are no longer available with with like physical uh things like a physical plane ticket you, you 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 can't get that anymore so you 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 need an app or you need to be able to order online so the danger with those people is more of a financial danger um I would say generally speaking so the, the it's 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 that they have access to uh financial means that the young kids don't have and sometimes some of them might be lonely um, and they might be easily uh, talked into sending money to save somebody that they've never seen because it's it's really well-crafted and they get a text message saying, hey, my name is such and such. I'm a friend of your sons or your cousins or whatever, because they've been able to gather that information from, uh, from Facebook or from some other social network and they, they will convince them very easily. To, um, to, to to provide money. The, the next stage, I think, that we need to talk about is what happens when either a teenager or a kid or an older person realizes that they've been scammed or, or they're victims of some level of abuse. Uh, do they talk to their family? Do they talk to their parents? Do they know that they can call the police? Where do they actually call are they ashamed? Maybe they're not going to be able to talk about it. And so all of these considerations come in when we start talking about that, that challenging um, uh, issue.
2: Yeah, it strikes me that with the kids, you know, we have them sort of as a captive audience when they're in school. And so you know, we can sit them down and, and uh, you know, make them watch a presentation on how to be safe. How do you suppose we can go about reaching the older generation to educate them?
1: Well, ironically, maybe by physical mail, because uh, some of them still see a lot of value in physical mail, whereas um, even I tend not to pay too much attention to it. I mean, I do open it and so on, but all of the important stuff that I need to know about, whether it's uh, an alert from my bank or my insurance or my airline, I get an email or I get a text or some other type of social media alert. So potentially uh you know sending like do 's and don'ts or stuff to be aware of uh, as a campaign to to older people in something that they can physically hold and then next time they're online they'll actually they 'll actually see it obviously, we can provide videos uh whether people watch those videos or not i i don 't know, but one of the things that we certainly need to do is we need to get law enforcement to, uh, work with the victims. Um, and especially in the case of older, older generations and tell them that it's okay, that it's, uh, you know, it happens every day. It's not something to be ashamed about. It's not something like, you know, of course you're going to, you might feel foolish about it, but so what it's, uh, you know, the reality is that there's, uh, there's a system out there that allows you to, Report those crimes and to make sure that you take corrective action really quickly in order to either stop those funds being sent or maybe uh, get some level of insurance to cover it. And I, I do think that we need to simplify that message. So we need to send a message in a, you're right, in a, in a way that is going to talk to that audience And then make sure that the message relates to that audience, right? So uh, there's no point in sending a a physical leaflet to people that are in their 80s and 90s, giving them loads of technical advice, because it's just not going to resonate with them. And the first thing they'll do is they'll say, well, I'll wait until my son or my granddaughter comes over and they, they can do it for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, folks who listen to this show have certainly heard me tell all of my stories about trying to look out for my own father who's elderly and, and is challenged when it comes to these things and I have to say I feel sometimes like he's a sitting duck despite having, you know, me and my siblings uh to back him up and <laughs> and help try to protect him. It's still really challenging. What is your advice for folks like us who are trying to do our best to look out for our elderly parents or loved ones?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, you want them to keep with the program. You don't want them to be isolated from what's happening. And so you would want them to be able to check the news on, on a mobile phone or an iPad or something like that. You do want them to be able to send text messages or emails to their grand or grand or uh, great grand gener- uh, generations and, and children's. Uh, and children, sorry, and um, on the other hand you you don 't want to essentially put them at risk, so I think that that uh, certainly what i what I do uh, with with the older generation in my family is I try to get them to pick a device that is appropriate to the use that they want to do, right so they don 't necessarily need the latest iPhone or the latest iPad or whatever. I try to Uh, set up all of the security settings for them. I try to get them to understand multi-factor authentication. It can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes, but once you explain it in in plain terms, plain English, you know, something you know, something you have, something that's unique to you, they actually get it. And also, I, I you know, I do show them sometimes examples of what can go wrong, you know, ranging from uh the, the fake romance with uh somebody that 's twenty years younger than you and find you on the internet even though you 're not on facebook and you 're not on social media just try to you know make make them alert and uh, to, to what 's happening The other thing i I tend to do is to explain that there's absolutely no shame in uh in being a victim in in you know it's not it's not like it, it's not um it's not a major issue and i i I know I've said that a couple of times already but i I do think that we need to 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 level down the the issue of I've been victim of a scam so I need to stay off the internet that that's no I mean you can go on the road and have a, 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 a a minor car crash and you'll still be driving tomorrow and for the rest of your life. It's a little bit, you know, it mightn't be a great analogy, but at least we can relate to that. The the other analogy that we can all relate to that to is, especially for much older generations, is when you say to them, look, when you started driving, there was no, not much security. There was no ABS on the brakes. There was no um, seatbelts. There was no seatbelts at the back. There was, you know, all of those things. And now they come as standard and you think it's normal. In fact, if you were given your latest car without all of that, you'd be saying, well, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you rarely get into a car without putting your seatbelt. So why would you go on the internet without paying attention? So It's the, it's the same idea.
0: Joe, what do you think? interesting that the problems of protecting the young and the old have a lot of overlap mm-hmm. right yeah you know and uh they're both they're both kind of looking for the same thing they're looking for connection with other people yeah they're looking to use their phones to do that or their technology to do that which uh i don't know i think it's synthetic I, i'm on that but here i am grumpy old manning this again um <laughs> Another good point is when you and I were young, our parents would say don't talk to strangers. Right. And now kids do nothing but talk to strangers.
2: <laughs> you know? That's true.
0: And it's the the whole stranger danger thing is actually a statistical anomaly. You're you're much more likely to be harmed by someone you know than by somebody you don't. Yeah. Uh but the the don't talk to strangers model doesn't really fit anymore. Mm-hmm. We we get in Ubers with people we don't know. Right. Um right. And for all we know, they could be. They could be. Uh, we don't even know if they're Uber drivers, really. Yeah. Uh, and that's happened up in Baltimore a little bit. Mm-hmm. There, there have been some some things that go on there that are a little bit sketchy with mm. in terms of Uber drivers. And it's not, not actually the Uber drivers. It's people who have carjacked Uber drivers and taken their car and their phone. Yeah. Uh, really scary stuff. Mm. Um, but the whole don't talk to strangers thing is kind of out the window now. What mm. do we say about that? I mean, when you're on. Uh, uh, a a chat service talking to people you don't know, uh, people need to be aware of the risks, right? The yeah. Younger people in particular.
2: Uh, I wonder if it's don't talk to strangers in person now. Yeah. Has replaced that because, you know, when we were kids, there was no alternative other right. than the telephone. That's, that's right. <laughs> We'd get telephone calls from time
0: to time and, you know, it was always marketing calls. And yeah. I was, uh, I'm not allowed to talk to strangers and hang right. up the phone. I did that when I was like 16. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to protect older people, I found this particular point very interesting, that older people are very responsive to actual physical mail mm. coming into their house. Mm-hmm. So if you send a letter or send a flyer in about, uh, you know, scams going on, that would reach a lot of people. Only drawback with that is it's kind of expensive. You know, it's yeah. not, not nearly as cheap as, as a digital campaign. Sure, uh, which is why we don't see a lot of mail anymore. Yeah. Um, the, the the shame of being scammed is going to be a big part of why these scammers are successful, as long as this is part of the equation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we make that not part of the equation. I mean, we on this show, we talk about people who come forward and we say, that's very brave and we really appreciate it. But in society as a whole... Uh, I don't know how we overcome that. I don't know that there will ever be a full remission of this kind of behavior.
2: Yeah. I, I Yes, I agree with you. I would say the one thing we can do is make sure that all of our loved ones know that they should not ever be ashamed to speak to us about, about being this. scammed. Yeah. Right, right. And in fact, uh, a friend of mine gave me a, a useful little phrase to use oh, uh, when dealing with your parents and, and it they say, if you say, nothing would make me more proud than being able to help you with something like this, mm. right? That, that's something your parents are going to respond to very positively. Um, and, and that could help, you know, just let them know. It doesn't matter what it is, what the scam was. You know, I don't care if it was, uh, you know, if you were, if you were looking at porn and you got, you know, right. <laughs> like, there's going to be no judgment because that, ha- that could happen to anybody. Sure. Uh, so just, I don't know, getting in front of it, making sure that they know that you will help them without any judgment may be able to help get rid of some of that potential of, of shame being a barrier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's a great, uh, great point. You know, the, the, it doesn't have to be a societal change. It just has to be a n- change within your local network, mm-hmm. you know, family network, friends network, that kind of thing.
2: Right. Right.
0: Um, Matthew talks about simplifying the message. Mm-hmm. which I think is a great idea. Do you remember when the Medicaid card started, Medicare card started coming out? Uh, and there was a campaign very briefly from, uh, from Medicare that said, guard your card. Hmm. and it was a uh, you know a bunch of older folks sitting around uh, it was a television ad campaign yeah a bunch of older folks sitting around playing cards and they were saying things like guard your card don't some scammer tried to call me and get my medicare card oh. today they were saying things like that that ad was way too short lived for it to be effective hmm. but it, i thought it could have been effective if the uh if they had to run it long enough hmm. uh but i and i thought it was a good campaign as well mm-hmm. and it did just that it simplified the message to a simple soundbite Guard your card that r- rhymes and fits in your brain right. to the point where I still remember it after having seen it maybe 6 or 7 years ago in a very short lived ad campaign right
2: stranger danger right yeah
0: it is a very effective way to uh help keep these things uh in your head another one that that I still remember that they don't I don't see any public service ads anymore stop drop and roll yeah yeah <laughs> and from what i see on uh on on reddit and on on instagram a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> but when they catch themselves on fire, the first thing they do is run around. Run around
2: yeah. Which is one of the worst things you yeah. could do. Yeah, feed the flames. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's stop, drop, and
0: roll. <laughs> um, training like cyber awareness does need to be consistent and constant. And I think that is something that should be in in. We should all be doing culturally. Yeah, uh, is yeah. You know, yes, of course we have the uh, the cyber awareness training for the captive audience of the younger people in in school and in college and in uh, in places like that. Maybe when they're starting working. But what do we do with the older people uh, who are retired and don't have to do anything? You know, they don't. You can't make them do anything. Right. Right. It's and and if you try, a lot of them will resist it. I know that if you try to make me do something. I'm gonna resist it.
2: I can vouch for that.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so we gotta come up with a way to uh help these older folks understand what's going on. Yeah. Uh although our you know, we've we've had enough stories in here that say that generally speaking, older folks are less susceptible to these kind of attacks. But when they are attacked and they're successful, their losses are far more damaging.
2: Right. Uh, right. because first off they have
0: much more to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and and no time to recuperate, right? And, and no way to recuperate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas a young person, if a young person lost their life savings tomorrow, someone in their twenties, they'd have the rest of their lives to recuperate from that, right? Um, and, and a means because they would be employed, and, and you know, uh, someone in their eighties doesn't have that. Yeah. It's devastating.
2: It's also been my personal experience that uh, both both from the from the horrible aging process uh, that I'm experiencing myself that yeah. we all go through uh. but also with my own family and my loved ones that it's very easy for folks to get more frazzled than they would have perhaps when they were younger just because they're not as quick-witted as they used to be, you know. So it's it's harder to to unpack and process things just through the natural aging process. Yeah. Mean, I've seen it myself with you know people I've known their whole lives. And and it is true that many, many people, they do slow down. And so having someone that they can count on, that they can go to who can help them process these sorts of things, I think that's so important in keeping those lines of communication open.
0: I have noticed that with my, uh, my technical skills, mm. is that I'm not acquiring new skills as quickly as I used to. Right. Right. And you know, I used to walk up to a, a piece of a piece of software and absorb it within a day. Right. And now it's taking much longer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I indeed. I don't like that. <laughs> no. I wish
2: I was young again. It is the way of things. It is That's right. Youth is wasted on the young. It is.
0: <laughs> when, I, when I tell my son that, he goes in retirement on the old. <laughs> there you go.
2: Fair enough. All right. Touche. All right. Well, our thanks to Matthew Gorge for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors at know Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Pittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.